You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. I'm going to grab a seat. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. And if you don't, you can grab the black one that's in the chair back in front of you. But go ahead and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. If you've been coming, you know that we um, have been doing this series called The Book, and we're going to the books of the Bible. But for uh, today and next Sunday in this Easter season, we're kind of doing some standalones. And so today, we're looking at the cross and the power of the cross. And then next week, obviously with Easter, be looking at the empty grave. And so, a spoiler alert, right? So, um, it's going to be a good time. But Mark chapter 15, what I want to do, I want to dive right into the text for a moment, and then... And then uh, help shove you in the right direction for understanding what we're doing this morning. So Mark chapter 15, verse 33. Mark 15, verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemme sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. I wanna go back up to verse 38, if you'll look there with me again. It says, then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now it's interesting, if if this was a movie scene, which is not obviously, it was real life, it's it's like the camera almost pans over. So they're at Golgotha and Jesus is on the cross. And then when Jesus breathes his last, it's like the the camera swings way over to the temple and inside the temple at the Holy of Holies where the curtain in there was torn. And then Mark goes right back to just telling the story. So it's this really quick shift to another place and then back. And he doesn't give us really explanation or detail about it. So if you're just reading along casually, it'd be easy to just kind of read through that and get like, I don't know what that was about or or not quite understand the context. When really there's something significant happening, you're just maybe unaware of it. Now to give you an example of that, um, that happens all the time. Like whether it's funny or serious, things happen and some people are responding one way and you are oblivious to it because you don't know the full context. Like for example, um, there's been some Sunday mornings maybe where you've seen uh, as I'm walking up and as uh, Allie Maddox, David's wife, as she's finishing, they're singing and she's walking that way. You've seen sometimes us engage in a little conversation and smile or laugh about something. Sometimes even the whole band will. That's because there's something going on they're aware of that you're not aware of. Sometimes, actually more times than I would like to admit, I leave my mic pack on and T- DJ TJ back there <laughs> He mutes it for you guys, but it's in their ears. (laughs) And as humiliating as it is, I just wanna give you guys a little taste of of what they get to experience. (laughs) 
That's good, that's good. <laughs> so you thought they were gifted, but when you know that's what they're hearing in their ears, like these people are talented, right? Like, <laughs> No, I give you that ridiculous example, one to humiliate, humiliate myself, but also uh, that's a, a silly example of how if you know the context, oh, now it makes sense, right? Like now if you see Allie laughing and she passes me, but don't think that every time that happens, I've been singing weird, okay? <laughs> but but um, as she's passing me and we kind of laugh, it's, it's, there's a reason. You may be oblivious to it, but there's a reason. So often in scripture, there's, there's reactions from people that we don't think makes sense because we don't know the full contact, context. Or sometimes there's not much said, and so we think, oh, it's not a big deal, but there's not much said because the original hearers, the original readers would have been more aware of the context. Does that make sense? So not everything always has to be explained. So we, if we're just honest, most of us don't, maybe me included, don't know the Bible as well, especially the Old Testament, I should say, the Old Testament, as well as many of the people in the time of Jesus knew the Old Testament. And so Mark and Matthew, Mark and Luke, who talked about the curtain being torn, the veil being torn, they don't say much about it, but the original readers, the original hearers would have known, man, there's some significance to this. There's more to the story. The question I want us to look at this morning is what is the significance of the curtain being torn? And I use the word is like present tense on purpose. (laughs) because it has significance for today. What is the significance of the veil, of the curtain in the temple being torn in two? Now, to to get the full story, to get the full context, we we have to go back, like, not just like back a little bit in Mark, I mean like we gotta go way, way back to a garden. You're like, this is gonna be a long sermon. (laughs) No, really, no. We have to go back to Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, right? Before Genesis 3, everything was absolutely perfect. Perfect relationship with God, Adam and Eve, walking in perfect relationship with each other and walking with the Lord, their their creator. Knowing him, seeing him. And then, as we know, in Genesis 3, slippery Satan snuck in there and he deceived Adam and Eve. And at that moment, when they chose to disobey God, they chose to sin, to rebel against God, immediately the relationship was broken. Immediately this this close, perfect relationship was torn apart. Because, not because God is mean, he's just cranky. No, because of their sin. And the reality is, if any of us had been in the garden, we would have done the same thing, amen? Let's try it again. Amen? We are, we're broken people. By the way, I, when, I, when I say that, I'm not looking for confidence booster. Probably have too much pride. I'm wanting y'all to make sure like, you're not missing this. Y'all tracking with that? Cool, all right, good. When the relationship was broken, what did God do? Did he say, you know what? It's no big deal. Y'all just stay in the garden and we'll just act like it never happened. Is that what he did? Is that what he did? No, what'd he do? Kicked him out. And then just so they got the message that weren't welcome in his presence like that anymore, 
He put two massive, not cute little cuddly like cherub angels, these big old angels at the gate to the, the entrance to the Garden of Eden with flaming swords, like as if an angel with a sword wasn't enough. He's like, the sword's on fire. <laughs> I, like being silly, but the symbol was very clear. You're not welcome in here anymore. The relationship is broken. Things are not the same. <laughs> Separation. Broken relationship. If you fast forward it from Genesis into Exodus, God called, actually even in Genesis it begins, God calling a people to himself. It begins with Abraham and if you get to, to Exodus, you see Moses and God using Moses to, to call his people, the Israelites, the Jews, out of Egypt. And they, they, God does miraculous wonders, they get out of Egypt and he brings them to Mount Sinai where he's gonna begin to give them the law. But as he's gonna engage with Moses in conversation, God told Moses, Moses, tell the people to stay back. Put a barrier around the mountain because if one of them breaks through the barrier and touches the mountain, they will die. They're not, they're not welcome in my presence. And, and actually, they, the people even told Moses, like when they saw the thunder and the lightning and, and the smoke, they told Moses, hey, you talk to God on our behalf because we can't handle it. We can't be in his presence. So there's this, this barrier. They, they can't talk with God. And Moses, who, who's this incredible leader, and you think maybe he can fix things and help kind of literally mediate the relationship. Moses is a broken man as well. He proves over and over again that he was a sinner. Moses didn't even get to make it into the promised land. He led him right up to the edge. He got to see him. He didn't even get to go into the promised land because he was a broken man too. So not only is God still in Exodus at Mount Sinai, like at the garden saying, stay back. You broke this relationship and you can't fix it. He's also, we again see that not even a, a guy, like the best of the best of the people of God, Moses, can, can fix the problem. <laughs> then you fast forward from Mount Sinai into where God helps them create the tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically a tent, you could say, they were gonna use while they were wandering through the desert. And it, and it was a place to set up and where God's presence would come and dwell with his people. And at the innermost part of the tabernacle was what we call the, or what God called the Holy of Holies. It was the place where heaven met earth. Not that you can contain God and like keep him in some little space, but it was the place that he chose to come and dwell on earth, to put his presence right there with his people in the Holy of Holies. And here's what's interesting. In the Holy of Holies, or in front of it, there was a massive veil, um, a massive curtain that the people, even the, the high priest, the most, just to use some like maybe common vernacular, like most spiritual leader there was, even he was not allowed just to waltz back into the Holy of Holies past that curtain because it was again a way of God saying, keep out. You can't just come into my presence because you're sinful and I'm holy. So even Aaron, he was only allowed into the Holy of Holies one day a year on the day of atonement. And even on that day, what he could not do is like hop out of bed and be like, gee golly, it's the day of atonement. I get to go to the Holy of Holies and just like walk back in there. No, before he could even go in there on that one day, there were all these rituals and cleanings he had to do symbolizing and showing he was a broken, sinful person who couldn't just walk into the presence of God. 
He couldn't just walk in there and have a conversation with God anytime he felt like it. Stay back. Relationship's broken. Even, think about this, even, that was the case, even as they were wandering in the desert and beginning to, to understand God's law and know it and figure out what they should do and how to live it, they still were not welcome into his presence, even as they did some, quote, good things. Fast forward from the tabernacle to the temple. Now, man, this was, this was impressive. Talk about a, sacrifi- a sacrificial system. Hundreds of priests there to help with the bulls and the goats and the different birds they were to offer as sacrifices to the Lord to appease his wrath so they wouldn't experience the wrath of God because they were, again, broken, sinful people. And, and the temple, the, the veil, the curtain separating everything else from the Holy of Holies was about 60 feet long, 30 feet high, and about one inch thick. And they didn't have like this, like how we have this sweet little rig right here, but they could just press a button, it would raise up. It took about 300 priests to get the curtain situated. That's a big old curtain. <laughs> you think you got draped problems at your house. Like this is, this is a big curtain. It was, it kind of served two things. One, it was as a way to protect the priest. It was so big and thick, they, they wouldn't fall into the Holy of Holies on accident and be killed. Because again, God said, you can't just walk into my presence because I'm holy and you're sinful. So it was, it was a way of safety, but it was also, again, a sign of keep out. You're broken, you're imperfect, I'm holy. You can't just come into my presence. You can't just act like we got this great relationship when it's been broken. They were every day, all these sacrifices the people were doing and that the priests as the mediators would carry out for the people and still the barrier remained. You can't just come in. It was during that time that a man named Jesus began his ministry. There've been a lot of leaders in Israel, a lot of spiritual leaders, a lot of godly men and women. But Jesus was a son of the most high. See, an angel had showed up to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and said, hey, your son is gonna be son of the most high God. You will call his name Jesus. So from the very beginning, they knew there was something different. There was something special about this boy. He grew up, when he, before, really, as he was beginning his ministry, he was baptized by John the Baptist and immediately led away into the wilderness where Satan tempted him for 40 days. And for the first time ever, Satan could not get someone to sin. Think how mad that must have made him. <laughs> for, for thousands of years, no problem. People sinning right and left. But he can't get Jesus to sin. Every time he thinks he's outsmarted Jesus and quoted some scripture, Jesus is like, uh, bro, I wrote the book. <laughs> Can't outsmart him. Jesus really gets his ministry going. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk. And it's not just that he's healing people. Jesus began to talk about that he could actually forgive people of their sins. They could come into a relationship with God that he was the way, the truth, and the life. But see, Satan hadn't 
given up yet. <laughs> He's a persistent little feller. He infiltrated in a way that probably a lot of us wouldn't expect. Maybe you do, I don't know. <laughs> he began to influence and manipulate, you could say, the thoughts of the religious leaders. They begin to see Jesus, really pretty quickly, they begin to see Jesus as a threat to their institution, as a threat to their religion. So rather than seeing Jesus as this amazing man of God, this incredible teacher who, who was perhaps the Messiah, they begin to see him as a threat. They want to do away with him. So they connected with Judas, one of Jesus' followers, and basically said, hey, if you'll betray him, we'll give you a little money. So Judas betrayed Jesus. And these religious leaders come, they came and arrested Jesus one night while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Took him, had this mock joke, or I say joke, it was a real trial, but it was a joke of a trial, not a fair trial. Pulled out his beard, spit on him, accused him of so many things. Next day, they took him before Pilate, took him before Herod, and neither of these men could find any fault in Jesus. But the Jewish people would not give it up. They wanted Jesus dead. So Pilate says, hey, you know what? Well, to appease the people, let's have Jesus flogged. So Jesus was taken by Roman soldiers tied to a post with his hands where he, he couldn't move or dodge blows. And then they took a stick that had leather straps attached to the end and on the end of these leather straps were pieces of metal or bone. And as Jesus stood there with his back taut, just ripe for the skin to break, they began to beat Jesus with a cat of nine tails. Now, as a bystander, if you had been hoping in Jesus, you'd be going like, well, man, there was so much hope for this guy. We thought this guy was gonna be able to, maybe he could fix the broken relationship, but now he's just gonna die. Is his death gonna be in vain? They beat Jesus over and over. And the flesh on his back and body was ripped apart and, and torn apart, so much so that even bone began to be exposed. Take him away and you can even see in this day at the, I wanna call it the praetorium, but they took Jesus after they flogged him and there was a place where they had carved out in the stone places where the blood could pull into because they were, after a victim was flogged, there was so much blood that the blood would have to pull. And so instead of just being all over the floor, they carved out places in the stone where the blood could flow so the Roman soldiers wouldn't have to stand in it. And they had Jesus, because the people weren't satisfied, Pilate agrees to have Jesus crucified. So Jesus picks up a cross and begins to head towards Golgotha. And there they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And they lifted it up and the wood went to the ground with a thud. And even then you can imagine that 
the flesh on his hands and his feet tearing, being torn apart even more. See, hung there, that people mocked him. <laughs> King of the Jews, you can't even save yourself. You, you healed other people, why don't you heal yourself, Jesus? You, you, you promised relationship with God and you could fix everything. You're up there torn apart on a cross. And in Mark 15, 33, it says, when it was noon, Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. This was a picture of God's judgment. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes down to take him. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. You know, Mark doesn't include this, but John tells us that in his last breath, Jesus cried what? It is finished. Then the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. What is the significance of the curtain being torn in two? <laughs> it shows us that Jesus, through his sacrificial death, made a way, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, made a way for you to come into relationship with God. It means the curtain that for so long stood there at the garden, at, at Sinai, at the tabernacle, at the temple that stood and said, you're broken, you don't belong, you can't just walk into my presence. Jesus said, hey, yeah, you are broken, you are messed up, you are torn apart as a human because of sin, but I was willing to be torn apart so that there could be a way for you to come into relationship with God. Amen. <laughs> doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. It's a huge deal. He made a way for us to be able to know the, and enjoy the presence of the living God by giving himself on the cross. And some of us don't get that excited because we're, we're kind of like, well, I'm a pretty good person. I, I kind of, I got the curtain started. I kind of got it torn. And it's like, no, you could pull on that curtain for year after year after year. Actually, some of you have been trying to do that and you can never rip apart that, that divider, that barrier between you and God because you can't be good enough to do it. That's called religion, thinking you can do it. Jesus tore, that's why it says it was torn from top to bottom, showing, demonstrating that God made a way for you, not you. Some of us maybe, maybe don't get real excited because we feel like, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I haven't been that bad. Or, you know, it seems like Jesus in the New Testament, he's just a loving guy. He's not really a wrathful God. No, the God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament. He's still full of wrath and justice. But Jesus drank down the full wrath of God so you wouldn't have to experience it. 
He's still the same just God. That's, that's the beauty of the cross. It's where the love of God and the justice of God meet perfectly and open up a way for you. And now because of that, because Jesus experienced the full darkness, the full wrath of God, if you have been saved by grace through faith, you are welcomed into the light of the living God. Because Jesus was willing to be experience the abandonment of God or at least feel like he was abandoned by God on the cross because of sin, you will never be abandoned by God. Amen. Because he became sin who knew no sin. We now get the righteousness of God. To say this, you could say it this way. Because Jesus was torn apart, the things that have been tearing you apart don't have to keep you from God any longer. He was torn apart. So the things, the sin that tears you apart no longer has to keep you from God because he took the wrath of God for you. And now, while we don't get to experience it in its fullness yet, now as believers, we begin like they did in the garden to get to experience the relationship and walk with God. And now we are no longer like they were at Mount Sinai where, oh, oh my gosh, we can't talk to God. God says, no, come and you can, you can talk to me. You can come close into my presence. No longer do we have to think like Aaron thought, like, well, I can't really just go into his presence anytime. No, God says, you can walk into my presence anytime, day or night because of Jesus. No longer do we have to think, oh man, I have to make all these sacrifices. I have to do all these uh, like guilt offerings to try to make myself right with God and try to cover everything. God says, no, the one, once for all, forever perfect sacrifice was Jesus Christ. He is enough for you. The atoning blood of Jesus. He was torn apart. So the things that tear you apart don't have to keep you from God. Means because the curtain has been opened by Jesus. If you come to Jesus, lust doesn't have power to keep you from God. I live in anxiety, I live in fear. I know God says, don't be afraid, but I live in fear. Even as you still struggle with that, when you surrender your life to Christ and come by grace through faith to him, he says, fear can't keep me from you. Can't keep you from me. Man, I struggle with greed. I just always want more. I want what everybody else has. Because of Jesus, greed is not enough to separate you from the love of God. Man, I struggle with addiction. I just keep going back to the same old stupid things. I can't get away from it. God says, there's no match for the blood of Jesus. Man, I'm just a hypocrite. I come to church and I live one way and I go out on Monday and I'm a stinking fool. Like, I, some of you are here this morning and you feel guilty, you feel unworthy to be here because of what you were doing last night or Friday night. Well, here's the reality. Because of the blood of Jesus, he welcomes you in here right now as much of a hypocrite as you may be. He doesn't say, well, keep walking in that. I love that. He says, no, bring that sin in here. Let's rip it apart. Come into my presence and I'll change you forever. Some of you, you walk in jealousy and God says, you know what? I was a jealous enough God for you that I died on the cross to bring you back. <laughs> so you can come into a relationship with me. Jealousy, not gonna let that keep us apart. 
I died for it on the cross. Some of you, 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 feel, you always walk in the shame and the guilt of being judgmental and you just, your brain always goes there. You're always looking people up and down and judging them. And God says, you know what? Yeah, that's a sin, but I died for it. And don't think that that sin can now keep you from me if you turn to Christ because he was torn apart. So that sin that tears you apart can no longer keep you back. Some of us, it's pride. God says, yeah, pride is a terrible sin. I died for it. But you know what? If you'll turn to me, pride can't keep you from me any longer. For some of us, it's anger. And God says, yeah, I was angry about sin, so full of wrath that I died for it on the cross. And I hate your sin. But if you'll turn to me, turn to the cross, there is freedom, there is forgiveness. And anger doesn't have to be a barrier between you and God anymore. Jesus was torn apart. So the things that are tearing you apart no longer have to keep you from him. Amen. What's the response this morning? I think there's really three things. The first thing I'm praying is that if you don't know Jesus, that this morning you would surrender your life to him. Maybe you felt like all your life, there's this barrier between you and God because of your sin. You know what I'm gonna tell you? There is. If you've not turned to Christ, there is a barrier between you and God because he is holy and you're a broken sinner. This morning, see and know the blood of Jesus shed for you, made a way for you to come into relationship with God. And you don't have to try to tear it from the bottom and work hard. No, he tore it from the top. Come on in. What does that look like? Maybe you're here in this room, you're watching online. It means, God, would you forgive me of my sin? I I accept and believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I wanna embrace your grace and your forgiveness. By faith, I'm gonna trust my life to you. I'm gonna follow you. In a moment, there's gonna be some pastors down front as we sing this song in a moment. There'll be pastors down front that would love to pray with you, would love to know if you accept Christ. If you're watching online, shoot us a message or click that connect button. Let us know that you've given your life to Christ. For believers in the room, How like, ridiculous is it to think that the God of the universe, because of Jesus, welcomes us into his presence and we're like, man, I'm just real busy, I'm just busy. That's like, this is maybe a little inappropriate, but I, I'm just gonna say, like, it's kind of like if on, on, a, on a, think on a wedding day, if, Think about a, a, like your spouse, you just get married and you're fixing to go to the hotel for the honeymoon and your spouse is like, I'm just busy, I'm just busy. What? That doesn't compare to the stupidity of saying you're too busy for time with God. Hebrews 10 says, in light <laughs> paraphrasing, but in light of the fact that Jesus made a way for us through his flesh, the curtain being his flesh, that we can come into God's presence through him. In light of that, draw near to God with confidence. Come in and and talk with him. What What does that look like to do it? Read your Bible. I feel like God is talking to me. I'm just not really sensitive. I don't get to enjoy. You say we have this relationship with God because the, the curtain is torn, the veil is torn. You're not feeling that because you're not talking to him. <laughs> Spend time in his word. Draw near. 
So the response for unbelievers today was for salvation for believers is to choose to draw near, to spend time with him. And when, you, when we have this attitude of I'm too busy, I don't have time for God, I don't know what that looks like. It's like we're just saying we don't care that the veil was torn. Ah, Jesus, I know you gave your life to open up that veil, to open up that curtain, but I just don't really care about it. Shame on us. Time to draw near church. In a moment, not yet, but in a moment, as we sing, maybe, I know that decisions happen in hearts, not at altars, but maybe as just kind of a representation of your heart and wanting to draw near, I'm gonna invite you, I'm gonna ask our men to lead the way here, invite you to maybe come down the altar and just talk with the Lord, say, Lord, teach me to draw near to you. I think the, the third response and if you're not a believer, you can believe or be a believer right now by trusting Christ. But the third response for believers or for us in this room today is to praise. If we don't walk out of here with rejoicing of, man, Jesus made a way for me. He did something I can never do. He opened up that veil so I can come into the presence of God and have a relationship with him and one day spend eternity with him. If we don't walk out with rejoicing, then we've missed something today. Amen? Sometimes a response to a sermon is not always like, I gotta go and do this. Sometimes it's just to stand in awe of God. So often throughout scripture, the response of God's people was not to go like, here's my 17 points of application. It was just like, God, you're worthy. (laughs) You're amazing. So as our worship team comes up right now, I'm gonna ask you to begin to pray and talk with God about what he would have you do to boldly respond. I'm gonna ask our, a couple of our pastors to be down front here in these two areas and maybe even under the TVs over there. Uh, if you go ahead and make your way right now, pastors. And if you don't know Christ or maybe you just wanna talk with somebody about, about drawing near to Christ, they're gonna be here to pray with you. And again, maybe you need to come and, and just kind of commit to drawing near to the Lord. And certainly all of us need to take this moment to praise God. Let me pray for us and then we're going to respond. Jesus, thank you for making a way when there was no way. (laughs) Thank you for being a chain breaker. Thank you for being a curtain terror. (laughs) Well, that because of you, we can have a relationship with you. Not something we did, something you did. Lord, I pray in this moment that you would save some people, that they would have the courage, that it would be real enough to them to get up and come and talk to one of these pastors down front or under the televisions down front. God, that you would stir in believers' hearts the, the awareness that, man, maybe they haven't been drawing near. Maybe they've been just kind of ignoring the incredible fact that they can have a relationship with you, come into your presence and talk with you. God, maybe they need to come down front. Would you give them boldness to come and and commit that now in just a moment? And Lord, for all of us, would you stir in our hearts a praise and affection for you that our sins do not have the final word over us, but the cross of Jesus has the final word over our lives. God, we love you. Help us to respond in this moment. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 